<laughs> Stephanie rules on time. I do recall them telling me you just showed up 10 minutes before I came upstairs, but all right. All right, we ready? We good. What up, what up, what up? Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I want to thank you for joining us for another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast. Super excited about today's conversation. This is going to be an amazing one. I always say that I work with dope people, and this is no exception to the rule. But before I let you know and introduce someone who truly needs no introduction, I got to remind you, make sure you are liked and subscribed to the Charles Coleman Podcast across Spotify, iHeart, YouTube, all of the things, Amazon, Google Podcasts, we are all the way up and out of space. So come get with us, the Charles Coleman Podcast, your home for black brilliance. And with that, we are going to have one of our black brilliance conversations today with a mover, a shaker, and someone who I work with and uh, who I have known for a while and am super duper excited to have on the couch today, the one, the only, Dr. <laughs> Simone Sanders Townsend is with us today for the podcast. Good afternoon. How People are don't you? know, but I do. I do have an honorary doctor. This is what I'm. This is what I'm. Put some respect on your name. I do. This is what I'm saying. A lot of people don't know. So, where did you get your honorary doctor from? Uh, from uh, American University. I did one of their commencements. Oh, that's a real school, like because you know, people <laughs> yes, be, people is. be paying for it. Yes, and it, it don't you know? But that's real. Yes, I did a commencement. My penance, but my payment was, was the, the honorary. Was doctor. the honorary doctor? I'm not mad. So is it like arts and letters? Like what's the document? You, I need to check the the thing. Actually, I'm I'm quite Girl, unsure. I don't know. You can't use the. Doctor. It was the public service situation. <laughs> you can't. I need to. You know what? I'm gonna talk to my co-host at work, and I'm gonna see if I can get the doctor added to all on of the, the promo materials yeah. that we're doing on the Chiron. But you gotta know what you're a doctor. Of. Well, well, we're gonna work on that. Yeah. I'm gonna yeah. give. I'm gonna give. I have a. I have a note. I got notes from this interview. We, we, we got a lot to talk about, doctor. Um, but before we do, there's something that we do on the Charles Coleman Podcast. It's called One's Gotta Go. So mm -hmm. if, you, you know, if you've seen previous episodes, we've had a lot of people on the couch. Yes, we've yes. Had, Stephanie Rule was on the couch recently. Ste Stephanie Rule's been on the couch. Joy Reid's been on the couch. Uh, my first guest, a lot of people don't, may, may not remember this, the first guest I've ever had on the Charles Coleman Podcast from anywhere was Michael Steele. Michael Steele. We love Michael Steele. He's a he's one of my new co-hosts of the weekend yes, on MSNBC. Gonna, we are going to get right into the weekend in just a moment. But one thing that we do is we play a game called One's Gotta Go. Okay. It's like an icebreaker, right? And so the idea with One's Gotta Go, I'm going to give you four things. And one of those things has to go. All of it. All okay. Right? So this, because a lot of people don't know this. You hail from the great state of Nebraska. Yes, I do. All right. So this is the one's got to go Nebraska edition. Oh, Lord. I had I had a hard time coming up with this because there ain't a whole lot of stuff from Nebraska that's going to say. It's actually not true. All right. Well, all right. So, so I'm going to give you four things, all Nebraska related. Okay. And one's got to go. One's got to go. Omaha Steaks. But you have to give me all four. I'm going to give you all okay, four. Okay. Omaha yeah, Steaks. Yeah, I'm going to give you all four. Omaha, Omaha Steaks. Cornhuskers football. Corn ice cream. Because that's the thing, apparently, in Nebraska. Or Malcolm Little. Corn ice cream. Corn ice cream? Yes. Have you ever had it? Uh, no, but I have seen it. I've been to the fair, and I have seen it. Okay. I will never eat it. No, what, what is it? I, just what? Don't, I don't want corn in my ice cream. What does it look like? Uh, like corn ice cream. Like, the, like corn in the ice cream. Yeah. 
And sometimes they can blend it up so it's kind of like a custard type situation. Definitely not getting rid of Malcolm Little, Malcolm X. He's from Omaha, down the street. And we're not going to get rid of Cornhusker football. Go Big Red. And, uh, and you Omaha your, steaks, we're never getting rid of the Omaha steaks. You steak. keeping your steaks? Yeah, absolutely. But the, the ice cream got to go. Got to go. Now, aside from your opinion, I just, this is very fascinating to me. Like, how popular is that? Not wildly. Not where I'm from. I'm from North Omaha. Oh, you the, the north side. That's what it is. North Omaha in the building. Y'all heard it. Get it right. North Omaha out here. That's what we're doing. North Omaha. North Omaha. Tell me about North Omaha. North Omaha. So, look, I'm from North Omaha. My mother is originally from Nebraska. My father was from Mound Bayou, Mississippi, but he was in the military, and there's a base right outside right. of Omaha in Bellevue. So that's how he got to Nebraska. Uh, North Omaha is like... Any other town or city, I would argue, across the town, I find that like a Minneapolis, okay? If people have ever been to Minneapolis or um, St. Louis, very, is very similar. Well, 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 it sounds to me like you haven't been to Omaha. And so, <laughs> yes. I have it. Yes, North Omaha. There are many things to help from North Omaha. Malcolm X, um, Kathy Hughes, TV One, everyone knows about Kathy Hughes. We love her, native North Omaha, and Gabrielle Union. She's from North yes, Omaha. Yes, Gab is definitely from North Omaha. She reps all day. Her uncle still lives there, and uh, we yes, they come and visit often. Yes, so North Omaha is a great place. All right, we're gonna, I'm gonna let you slide on them three names because I know if I ask before you'd be shot. Shot. <laughs> so I'm gonna let you Warren ride on Buffett. Them three names. Warren Buffett. He's from Omaha. Mm, all right. So um, let's move on. You have got a lot going on. Um, congratulations on everything that you've been doing. Um, you know, obviously, people don't know that we have known each other for some years. Yeah, I've known Charles since he was a, a political commentator at another network. I've known Simone since <laughs> she was a press secretary for another campaign. Yes, several, yes, long, my long first presidential campaign when I worked for Senator Sanders. That's right. And now to go from there to all of the other political things to uh, we are literally about to launch a new show is it's just crazy. It just all seems so insane, but very exciting and another crazy presidential election cycle. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Uh, but first and foremost, the weekend. The weekend. Year. The weekend, the weekend, the weekend. MSNBC's new weekend flagship show. It's an ensemble cast. Yes. It's you. Michael Steele and Alicia Menendez. Yes, getting up early. Getting up early. What? What? What's? It's what? eight a.m. Eastern to ten a.m. every Saturday and Sunday. Every Saturday, they got Which means we gotta get two up hours. real early. Two hours. Huh? Two hours. And look, the weekend is the place where we want people to come and start their weekend. Literally, we get not. We want you to get up with us. And again, this is a consequential election season, but there's also so much happening, and so. The weekend is a place where you'll be able to come and get the news, get perspective, uh, get some analysis. We'll have some newsmakers on for our launch show uh, this weekend. We've got, can I say? I'm looking over at uh, Olivia. I'm like, can I say who we have? I don't think we told anybody. Uh, Governor Westmore of Maryland mm. is going to come through. Uh, Secretary Pete Buttigieg is coming. Um, Quentin Folks from the Biden campaign, because we got some questions mm. about what is going on with the campaign. Get, definitely given this debate situation we just saw in the town hall with Donald Trump. And um, also we have, uh, oh my God. Y'all ain't, no, ain't got no legal news? We do have some legal news. We have some legal news. We're going to get into all of it. I mean, again, the weekend is the place where you come and you can get it all. People want enough just to be conversational, Charles, you know. 
Like they want, they want enough information to be conversational. They want to be able to talk about the news of the day, but also peel back some of the layers. Like, what does it mean that Donald Trump is saying he's immune uh, from prosecution because he was president? I don't understand. Is that normal? It is not, and this is not normal. So uh, I'm excited that we get to do it with three. Folks who are familiar with the MSNBC audience, uh, you said Michael Steele was your first guest on the podcast. Sure I didn't was. know that. I I'm going. I'm thoroughly enjoying being able to sit across the table from Michael Steele because he's hilarious. Uh, but he also brings all that knowledge and experience from being the chairman of the RNC. And Alicia, I've known her for, I've known Alicia, I think, just as long as I've known you since really? when. Yes, we met in New Hampshire and she interviewed me when she was at a different network when I worked for Senator Sanders. Mm. And so now for us all to be sitting at the table together every morning, we're going to bring you the news. We're going to have a little fun. Uh, and we're excited. A lot of people don't realize how funny Michael is. Uh, if you are someone who's listening to the podcast and you have not checked out the Michael Steele interview, it's a very good one. A lot of it is still very, very relevant. Um, but you, but one of the things I love about him is that he has that balance. Yes. Of being someone who is... Because let's be let's be honest. There is, in some cases, a tendency to sort of look at Michael and there's sort of generational bias in some places. And then there's also the bias of, oh, who's this black Republican Mm -hmm. dude? Until you actually talk to Michael. Mm -hmm. Until you actually get to know him. Or even, you don't even get to know him, listen to him. You're like, okay, this is something different. And I had another opportunity to explore him, explore that with him in a different conversation that I'm going to be telling y'all about sooner than later. Um, But... It's a very interesting mix. So tell me about how did this mix of like the cast get put together? Like that's very fascinating. It is. It is just. It is the beauty and the brainchild of Rashida Jones, our fearless leader, the president of the network. Shout out, boss lady. We we love the boss lady. We love the boss lady. Shout out, boss lady Rashida. And I think it's. I mean, you talk about the 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 different, just diverse background of the three different hosts, and I think that's important. You know, this is um, a. People, when they turn on the television, and regardless of whether we're talking about Trump, Biden, the tornado that might have just come Mm -hmm. through a town Mm -hmm. or city, whatever the news is, everybody doesn't have the same perspective. And I think that people are looking for robust conversation. So we are just advocates for the viewer here. We want the viewers to make their own decisions. And because the three of us have not, this isn't crossfire. We were doing interviews the other day and someone said, is this going to be like a political knockdown. I'm like, not at 8 a.m. on a Saturday, but this is a conversation. Um, and we are putting context around the conversation that people are definitely having, maybe introducing conversations they didn't think they needed to have, mm-hmm. um, new perspectives. And the different backgrounds of each of us, I think, will contribute heavily to that. But we're also going to pull from other MSNBC talent like yourself, the other legal analysts. NBC has a large depth and breadth of reporters that are all over the country. We're going to pull from those folks. And so when people tune in, they go see the newsmakers. They're going to see some other familiar faces. And it's just going to be exciting. No, I'm, I'm super excited to not only... Um, watch you all, but also to participate because I enjoy working with all three of you. Yes, yes. We did a post debate special yeah, and just was, this week. Well, and I was you talking to you. Yes, a yes, hours yes, ago yes. On you, the people came on the set at like twelve and one a.m. So yeah, that's a little taste of what people can expect yeah. for the weekend. And it was it was just a really really good conversation. I think that that's what you guys are going to bring, and I'm very very much looking forward to it. So make sure everybody's tuned into the weekend. I think with your mix. You have a very unique space that you occupy in terms of 
voicing the perspective and concerns of millennials and millennial voters. Like, I'm not going to put your age out there. I'm 34. Right. A lot of... I wasn't going to, you know... I just I wasn't turned 34 in December. Congrats. Happy birthday yes. again. Um, the reason why that's so significant is, like, you wasn't no intern. You were a press secretary for a a campaign that a lot of people at the time felt like got railroaded out of the Democratic nomination. That's a very big deal. I, well, I, that's actually not what happened, but yes. I'm just, I'm just I telling just, you. Yeah, that's what, that, yes. You know, I'm yes, just telling I, you how I, I said mm -hmm, a lot of people mm -hmm, felt that mm -hmm. way, right? And then you were, you know, on another campaign that did get the nomination and then won, and then you were the spokesperson for the first black vice president of the United States of America. And that was a while ago. And you're 34 now. So when I say all of that, I say like, your resume is like that. It's diesel. And I give you all of the props for it. Um, I feel like there's this very interesting cadence mm -hmm. when you talk about millennial voters in election cycles where we know up front, yeah, they're going to be important. Yeah. But they're not spoken to. They're spoken about and around a little bit. And then, you know, somewhere a little bit before the actual conventions for both parties come up, they begin to get a little bit more attention. You think people start to talk about them? You know, they wait till what? That's like usually summer. All the conventions that happen summer, summer, July, like, August. In August. And then, you know, we get an October surprise and we don't know, we don't necessarily hear about millennial voters until after the election when people are analyzing the numbers. And how effective they were. I mean, when you think about, so this is gonna be an election <coughs> cycle, and I think the craziest part is when people say millennials, I think they automatically go to college students. Mm -hmm. And those are those are not millennials, okay? The college students point. are Gen Z. Millennials, the oldest millennials are 40 years old. Like, they, 40, 41, they have, uh, we talk a lot about suburban moms in politics, and I think people hear suburban moms and they think that is code for suburban white women, but the, the, the suburbs are increasingly more diverse. The suburban moms are millennials and they are, they're going to be consequential to this election and have been key to the last two midterm elections and they were key to the last two presidential elections. Millennials made a difference in 2020 for Joe Biden and they made a difference uh, in 2016 for Hillary Clinton. So, right. So, and, and I picked up what you was just putting down there, but for our viewers who might have missed that, what she meant was in 2016, the outreach to millennials wasn't there the way that it needed to be. And that's why we had partially the the, the result that we did, that, that in Russia. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well, a lot. And one could argue James Comey had a little something to do well, with that it. And you know, the press conferences. But see, this is why I think... Uh, these are the, this is why I think the kind of conversations that folks are having around our political discourse is is key, and people who really understand and have had experience uh, in the various fields. And I mean, frankly, these are the kind of conversations we're going to have on the show. Like millennials are going to be key mm -hmm. to 2024. So let's unpack how the campaigns are reaching out to them. Again, we've got Quentin. We have Quentin folks on this weekend on the show, and I'd like a word. Lots of yeah, I know lots of people have questions I would like a for word. Mr. Folks about uh, black, black voters. voters, black men, Latino men. Quentin, get in touch with me. I'd uh, like a word. Millennial voters as well. I mean, I think about we are uh, ceasefire. Okay, go with me. Go with me. You like where is she going with I'm, the ceasefire? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. <laughs> 
There is a, obviously, a, there is a war currently being waged between Israel and Hamas, and it is disproportionately affecting the Palestinian people, innocent people that have nothing to do with Hamas. Um, all across the country, people have been protesting, all across in America. I mean, heck, I live in Washington, D.C. They were protesting Mayor Bowser at her uh, relay, her 5K relay on New Year's Day. Can't even run. Looking for, looking for, they running with her, looking for a ceasefire to pray. So President Biden was at Mother Emanuel AME Church recently, literally a couple days after the January 6th. And people started calling for a ceasefire in the audience. They did. They did. In, in the church. In, in the Mother church. Emanuel AME. Now, people like myself tweeted like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this is happening. And Mother Emanuel AME. And Hold the on, face that you, you right are making there. is... I need to stop you right there. That's what people said. You yes. really couldn't believe that that didn't I happen? could not. Mother Emanuel AME is hollowed ground. It is a, in a church where... Um, the pastor of that church and parishioners were gunned down in a Bible study. Sure. Now a couple get like it is hollow ground. It is one of the oldest black churches in the country. And if and if in that space, I, I, you know, I don't want to get too too deep on this one. But if in that space, there cannot be an honest dialogue about the humanity of people in terms of their lives, lives, and what that means, and the responsibility. Mm that America has as a global leader to engage in earnest in that conversation, where else can that conversation take Well, you place? make a very good point about honest dialogue, and you took me right to where I would like to go. Come on now. Um, as we discussed, I worked another presidential campaign back in the day for Senator Bernie Sanders. Before I worked for Senator Sanders, he was getting protested regularly. Mm. Um, uh, people would hop on the stages, interrupt him, take the mic. So, it's a thing. Hold on, I got to tell the story. So I remember, a lot of y'all might have forgot this. I remember this story, I, and I forgot about the story. Somebody, how old were you? When I was 25 when I worked for Senator Sanders. So somebody during one of Senator Sanders' press conferences, it was outside, I'll never forget this, because I saw the video, they got on. They tried to get on the stage, and you like either got in front of them or. I do not. I do not recall that. Don't. I, no. I, I can easily. No, I don't recall that. I recall dairy protesters protesting then candidate Biden in twenty twenty, and we didn't know they were protesting dairy. They were just running on the stage, and I may have had a hand in removing a protester. Y'all can Google it. <laughs> For Senator Sanders, I never blocked anybody from the stage because what they were. I mean. I didn't work there when people were protesting, to be clear. Okay. But my first day on the job, I was on a plane, I get off the plane, and I see this video of these two black women who had interrupted Senator Sanders on the stage at a That's Medicare for All rally. That's what it was. I was That's on a plane. You see yeah. this misinformation? I was on a plane. This is some time ago. Well, yes, I, I, it was. I, I, yeah. Yes, it was. It's was 2015. I say this to say that um, obviously I'm, you know, yeah, we talk about I'm from Nebraska. I'm sure people were like, "Are there black people in Nebraska?" There are black people all over this country, and yes, there are black people in Nebraska, North Omaha especially. I'm like, I'm, I, I, I was viscerally uncomfortable. I would be very uncomfortable, and and told them I was with the idea of like. If y'all think somebody hopping on this stage while I'm standing there, we I just I don't want the I don't want the visual. So it's like, what do we do? And we, I had to have a conversation with my, you know, new campaign colleagues and the senator. And I told them the reason people are protesting is because they you they do not think that you hear them. Mm -hmm. And they don't feel as though you are listening to them, and they feel the way the only way to get your attention and for you to hear them is if they interrupt you at one of your events. And they are looking for your attention uh, because they are trying to affect what you are doing. Perhaps we should offer some meetings. 
And that's what we started doing. So every place that Senator Sanders would travel across the country for like two or three months, my first two or three months on the campaign, there were many places where there were threats of a protest. And what our campaign team would do is we would reach out to the activists on the ground, the people that we you know, thought would, are the organizers, and offer them a meeting with Senator Sanders. But only after the event was over and had them promise if they didn't protest, not only would Senator Sanders come back there and spend substantial time hearing from you, he's not coming to talk at you, he's coming to hear from you and engage in a dialogue with you towards the end, but he really wants to hear what you all have to say because that's why you protested anyway, but we'll bring the policy staff as well because it's, not, it's one thing for the candidate to hear, but the people who are advising the candidate in his ear or their ear, they matter as well. Since I, from the time I worked for Senator Sanders till I left, there was not a protest. Mm. Because people are protesting because they want to be heard. And so, yes, to a dialogue about the plight of the Palestinian people, absolutely. But to be very clear, uh, again, in this consequential election cycle, what is happening in the Gaza Strip is absolutely going to affect how people feel and what they do when it comes to the ballot box. It's going to matter in Michigan. For sure. And Dearborn. And Dearborn, largest Arab-American population Dearborn, in the country. And you can't win Michigan without Dearborn. Not if you're a Democrat. A Democrat has not won. If you want to win Michigan, you got to right. win the suburbs as a Democrat. And Dearborn is in the suburbs right outside of Detroit. So I say that to say that perhaps, and, and this is something I definitely think we're going to get into with um, Quentin Folks. What is the campaign strategy for hearing from people so the candidate themselves can hear? Because part of the issues that, that I gleaned from the outside looking in that they're having is people don't feel like you hear them. I used to work at the White House. I remember during the student loan, the, the initial whole student loan um, fight where it, are the payments going to resume? Are they not? Right, right, right. The payments were resuming and then all of a sudden they didn't resume anymore and we kicked the can down the road a little bit. There were protesters outside the White House. And we could hear them inside the White House. If you were in the West Wing of the White House, the people were that loud. You, in the middle of your meetings, and then one o'clock in the afternoon, you could hear them. The protesters have been outside for a while, but I'm gonna just be very honest. It was not until some of the people who are associated with those protesters got into the rooms with, you know, the principals and the the senior advisors and the chief of staff at the time and whatnot that. The policy change happened. But that's, I mean, but so it's an outside inside strategy. But right, a lot, and a lot of people don't really understand or appreciate that's literally how protest is supposed mm -hmm. to function. It's supposed to function as part of a larger strategy with movement. Protest, I tell people this a lot, is space making. It is, it is space making to create opportunities for conversations that otherwise would not be having, uh, being had on the inside to actually take place. And so that's appropriate. I want to hear from you. What are the, give me your, top three things that millennial voters are likely to be concerned about? I mean, millennial voters are concerned about the economy. Remember, millennial voters, they span the gamut. Mm -hmm. Some millennial voters, the youngest millennials could be 25, 26, oldest millennials, 40, 41. I mean, they care about the economy. I, I also think they care about um, the just the long longevity. This democracy argument that the, the, the Biden campaign is saying that they are going to make in 2024, I think that it has the potential to break through, but what, what is democracy? Are we talking about freedoms? Right. Are we talking about voting rights? Are we talking about reproductive health? Um, but I, I do think that there is something there about the longevity of just the quality of life for people in this country, millennials especially. Uh, 
So I think those are, I'm going to give you my top two. Those are my two top general top two. things that I think they care about. We might but, have to revisit, re- revisit this at some point uh, because I think that... Do you disagree? No, it's not. That I just, no, I don't. I don't. You're yeah, right. I don't. It's, that's okay. It's a conversation. I don't necessarily disagree. I do think that there's going to be some nuance that emerges from these conversations in terms yeah. of what that looks like and what that means. And I mean, to be very clear, you talk about millennials. Millennials are the most are the most one of the most diverse, right. Like groups of voters in this country. And so, what white millennials, white millennial voters, um, what they are focused on, it might differ just a little bit. Sure. I think millennials across the board, everybody care about the economy. I think everyone cares about the right. economy. Whether you're black, white, Latino, How Asian American. How much stuff American costs? Yes, yes, right. yes, right. yes. That's, yes. That's the economy is doing quite well. Record unemployment, low unemployment, but people are still feeling the squeeze. Um, Goldman Sachs did this survey recently and about black women and the economy. And 71% of black women in this survey said that they felt like they live paycheck to paycheck. Mm. That's a concerning number. If... The economy is a key thing that lots of people care about, and I'm talking about diverse set of millennials, and black women are a part of that. Uh, at 71% feeling like they live paycheck to paycheck, that to me doesn't say uh, they are coming out at 95% right. like they did in 2020 to vote right. for Joe Biden. And that brings me to my next question. I, you know, you brought up the notion of democracy, mm-hmm. and this conversation has been had ad nauseum, and I'm not saying that it shouldn't be. I understand why. And I understand it's a well, very important conversation. You don't like the democracy messaging. You I don't guess think my, it's potent. I don't. Well, that was really my question. I am not sold that democracy is an issue that is going to win an election. I, I you know, I think no? that. Why not? Because I don't. Because it, and to be clear, Democrats, Republicans, and Independents are all talking about democracy. They're but they have very different. They're very different messages around it. I mean, I think that like, unfortunately, we are in a space. I, I worry that we're in a space politically where we are the boy who cried wolf. Because mm-hmm. we have for a number of different elections, going back to Bush, Bush Gore, uh, been saying how you know this is the most important election of our lifetime and democracy is, is, is threatened and Karl Rove at that time was going to destroy American democracy. And now, most of the people who were saying that then would love to have that as the problem, Karl Rove and George W. Bush as the problem to contend with on an electoral stage. So I think there's only but so many times that you can ring that alarm before people are like, well, how is this different than the last time? So I do want, I understand how it's No, but I think that that is an important point. And I think that's why providing context around this conversation is key. Because yes, this is something everybody says every election going back to Bush v. Gore. is the most consequential election of our lifetime. You know, and it's what they tell young people. And it's like, young people have to vote. It's the most consequential. Yeah, people and, fought and died for your right yeah, to vote. Yeah, right, right, right. And that's, yes, and to be clear, those young people have been voting. And since that time, they've seen, especially millennials, they've seen Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown. They Somebody paid a lot of money. Under a black AG. Yes, right? yes, like, yes, So like, again, yes. that message doesn't Hoda always align. But he was just, you know, doing the oh, work of the administration. And I'm not, I'm not mad at that. But what I'm saying is that that messaging doesn't always align in a way that makes people feel like, but Your this ass is a justified. I think the stakes are just so much higher in this election. We are not, um, you know, as we've been, we've been doing a lot of. I mean, obviously, lead up to the Iowa caucuses, really the kickoff of the twenty twenty four campaign season. So we've been doing a lot of conversation around the debates and the town halls, and we'll have more. Um, we'll be doing another post debate special after the CNN is also hosting a debate in New Hampshire on the eighteenth. So we'll have a post debate special after that. Where we'll unpack that New Hampshire debate. 
And I just think it is really important for people to understand, like, this is not, and then, and as we're talking about it, some folks are like, oh, but some people are going to vote on the economy. Oh, yes. As I just discussed, mm -hmm. it's 71, uh, the 71% that Goldman Sachs survey. But what, what, what is, you know, wages being up in an economy where the president is a dictator? You know, like what is, what is, you know, wait, you know, uh, unemployment being under 4% when, you know, women are being jailed uh, for taking the healthcare that they need if that healthcare is an abortion. So this is just a little different. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, again, I think that the space that we find ourselves in, in terms of people's approach, is more a function of perhaps mismanaging messaging in the past wow. in a way that has prevented us from having cogent messages in the present that resonate I would agree with, that. with the electorate. I would agree with that on some, I mean, one could argue in 20, I mean, I advised the Biden campaign in 2020. And in retrospect, I think one of the things that uh, we did, we, if we could go back, I might say something different, is in fact that, Coming into the administration, I think a lot of people had a lot of very high expectations mm -hmm. of what the president was going to be able to do. And this administration has been quite successful, but there are some things that have not gotten done because we do not live in a country where the president is a king or a dictator. There is a Congress. There is a Supreme. There is a. There are three legislative branch. There are three branches. I wasn't um, really going to go here. I'm just saying but there are multiple branches here. of government, and people people were like. We, if you look at if you look at focus groups, I I, I like focus groups and um, and I think polls are good, but you got to look at I think state based polls close to where voting is about to happen. So uh, NBC News has been doing a lot of polling in Iowa specifically, mm -hmm. and I think when the Iowa poll comes out, that's going to be a good barometer of where the Iowa voters are. I think when you look at battleground state polls like months out from election, I don't I don't really know how that adds up. People might change their mind. Ask them again in August. But if you do look at some of the polling in the focus groups, people are like, oh, Joe Biden didn't get uh, the student loans. And it's just right. like, well, well, I think, well, the Supreme Court did, did, I, did block I, what I, he was doing. I hear he you. He tried. I hear you. But, but people, but you got to, you got to message that. And I'll I think go, that's, that's, that's where I'm Biden going. Campaign that's where I'm going. In that's, that's, that's really where I'm going. Where I'm going with this is everything that you're saying, not, notwithstanding. And I don't disagree with it. It's you. true. Yeah. I'm, you, it's, it's, it, see. <laughs> I'm there's a lot of flexing going on and I'll let it happen because I know who I'm on the couch with, but you know, look, this is what it is. Um I, I, one of the things that I say thematically is that there is on the left a message problem and a messenger problem. And whatever it is that you're talking about in terms of the contours around how the current administration has overperformed, performed well, performed highly, somewhere that's being lost. And it's being lost because voter confidence uh, in terms of Democratic voters, in terms of black Democratic voters with Biden, he is, he is looking at right now uh, a level of voter participation from black America that he cannot win with. Oh, to be very clear, and you know, I've, I've, I've said this to you know, my former colleagues, I've said it on television, Joe Biden is no Barack Obama. So you can't do worse than Barack Obama did with black voters in 2012 in your reelection here in 2024 and win. Well, you, you have were... to get, you have to, you you cannot do worse than Barack Obama. I gotta ask you, were you, were you responsible for the, um, if you don't vote for me, then you ain't black? Oh my God! I just gotta what ask. in the world? 
I can't remember. I can't remember. First of all, no one is responsible for that. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't even know. Don't what you're you saying. do messaging? I I used to. Now right. I'm just you, an advocate for the viewer. You did messaging, right? I'm an advocate for the viewer. Were you responsible for that message? I wasn't. I, no one was responsible for that message. I believe that was a tongue in cheek moment that you were referring to, where then candidate Biden was in an interview. See, this is the shit. Now, now, this tongue in cheek moment. This is the shit I got to do now. Did not come across well. This is the shit I got to do now. I do believe Joe Biden. Because now, because now, it's, now, now it's coming back to me. This is shit I got to do. Now she's gonna make me be a former prosecutor. I used isn't to work it, for a former it, prosecutor as well. I'm, 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 a, I'm familiar with being on the witness stand. Isn't it true that you were on the campaign during yes. that time? Yes, and I was on that. And you I was, came. I remember this now. I you was came on to his the, defense yeah. behind that, didn't you? That's what I used to do. I used to be a spokesperson. <laughs> I, I'd like to argue I was a very effective one for the vice president of America, candidate Biden, and Bernie Sanders. How does that happen? Oh, no, 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 no. You know what? You know what? No, no, no. All jokes aside, I really take me through take me through that day. I like I really all jokes aside. I am not gonna take you through the day. But I will say this because the fact that you bring it up, that is that is something that as you know, I've had the opportunity to travel the country and as I'm talking to, you know, and I think the concern around voters of color, black voters specifically, for the Democratic Party apparatus is a real one in 2024. I think that they should, frankly, the campaign should be treating black and brown voters as persuadable voters, just like they treat independent voters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't, I don't know if they're there yet. But I plan to ask Quentin folks about all of it when we see him. Hey, listen, Quentin, get in touch with us. I got questions, my dude. Quentin, get in touch with us. But, we got questions. But what you bring up is a lingering thing. Like you're not the first person, uh, as of late, to raise that. And those kind of um, snaffles, le- those those kind of events that happen on the campaign <laughs> trail, they will have lingering effect. I think back about um, like the super predators from yeah, uh, of course, and the like that play that that the Trump campaign in 2016 played Secretary Clinton with. I think back about the deplorables comment that was made. Uh, you can even go back to Mitt Romney and his uh, binders full of women. Or you could go back if you really wanted to do it. You could go back to. He's he's articulate. He's clean. Oh yeah, all the he's way clean. back to. Oh, you can go we back. Not yeah. About who said that? Yeah, one. we yeah, we on They were talking that, about right? President Obama. Yeah. Then and who Obama. said that? It was then. Uh, it was another candidate in that race in 2008. Another candidate. Who's, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm gonna let y'all Google that. I'm gonna let y'all Google. We we gonna let you know political pop quiz. Um, but you see, this is why it is. I just I think it is really important to get the people in the room who are able to make the decisions and ask them the questions. I, I want to address something with you or, or get you to address something that happens a lot in terms of conversations with black America. A lot of times we look at the notion of get out the vote and um, voter drives and participation from the perspective we have in community. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It looks like Jay-Z coming out and Puff Daddy and Beyonce. Well, maybe I not think now. at this point nobody's Well, Puff. I'm not touching that, but like, you know, it looks like a bunch of hip hop celebrities coming out. I don't think that's true. I'm telling you what the people I think it happens, but I'm I, just, telling you I don't think people, that's the only thing. I'm telling you what the people feel like. The people feel like in our community, we are the ones who get a bunch of entertainers coming to sell us. The Democratic Party. The people need to pay attention. So I don't, look, I I think that there's two things. It's what candidates and campaigns do. And then it's what the the nonpartisan entities, if you will, that do just want to jumpstart the machine of black voter participation, which 
that those are very important, um, I think, to the efforts of uh, candidates and campaigns, regardless if they're Democrat, Republicans, or independents. But I will say, like in 2022, for example, the midterm elections, the the Divine Nine was very intentional in places all across the country. I before I hosted the weekend, I hosted my own show, Simone on MSNBC, and I had every president of the Divine Nine I, I on. Prep, I prepped the show. You did I okay. Prepped Ricky for that for that you interview. Did. Yeah, and he was good. Your bachelor's, he was very good and very specific because I wanted to know because not that I thought people were only bringing celebrities in, but it's like okay, people. Uh, all of these organizations, whether it's fraternities or sororities or the links or um, Urban League or NAACP, they all talk about the need to get out the vote. But how specifically are you doing that and talking to people in communities across the country? But do other, but do candidates engage other communities in the same way? Like, are they looking to get the the the, the most popular Asian K-pop group or actors? And go talk to their community, or sometimes, they, yeah, sometimes, yes. In um, Georgia is a good example. In Georgia, yeah, because they are right, Georgia, right, sure. a substantial uh, Asian American Pacific Islander uh, population. Mm. They made a real difference in 2020 in Joe Biden winning that state. Georgia mm -hmm. was very close, and I, I think I should also note that 2020 was close. 2024 is going to be a close race. Is why. People need to be just very vigilant about misinformation and disinformation because it's going to be a close race. But yes, in Georgia, for example, they one of the organizing tactics that was used was to bring in celebrities that were familiar with various communities. And so it's not just for, and, and I mean, it's not just that they do it for black people. That's what okay. you're saying. Well, yeah, that's, that's what, what you're I was, I was, at, I was you're asking, asking because I don't, asking. I don't necessarily see those efforts in the same way because they're not communities I'm a part of because in or like with the the efforts to engage women voters, right? And so, if you, I mean, I mean, at this point, one would argue at at any point in two thousand eight, and also in twenty twenty, but two thousand eight, Oprah was like a go to surrogate. Why? Because women loved Oprah. You a black woman, mm -hmm. a white woman, a Latino woman, AP women just love Oprah. I so still think I still think that there's a. I, I mean, I think that there. That's true, but I also think true. that there's a level of sort of seriousness and balance that Oprah has in terms of her cachet and her celebrity that some of the people who are put in front of us like you know that we've seen over the over the past couple of election cycles don't necessarily have they don't necessarily have that yes but you know why people you know why candidates has. and campaigns reach out to dip celebrity yo yeah, well, I don't know anybody that's reached out to dipset but um Jeezy or the rap community, if you will, is a good example. Uh, the hip hop community. Why do candidates and campaigns reach out to folks like that who maybe they don't do politics? You know, they, they don't really talk about politics all the time, but they believe that they'd be engaging because people, there are some people that might not show up to see, you know, uh, candidate Joe Smith, mm -hmm. right? But they will show up to see um, T.I. or Jeezy yeah, right, or something. Right, right. And so, I'm, you're bringing people into a room that otherwise would never come to that room to get a message that they otherwise would not have heard. And as we discussed, it all always goes back to messaging. And part of the barrier, I think, for the or the challenge, frankly, for the American people right now, and I, and I would also argue us as a media apparatus, is how do you 
clearly and effectively communicate what is happening to people so that they get the information so they can make the decisions that they want to make. You No, uh, and, and that is... And I think campaigns have that challenge as well. Uh, that is the challenge, right? Like, the challenge is being able to meet people where they are. Yes, and I, I used to say the beauty shops, the barbershops, and, and the Bible studies. And I get it. I, I, I get it, but I, I just have heard from a number of people who feel like there's a disproportionate leaning. So they don't want the rappers? Well, I think they want the rappers and they want the thinkers, right? Like, so like, I think if the, if they were the thinkers and the people who were really, really in the space and weighing in on the policy in a way that was informed for people like you and me and, and our circle of folks, I think people wouldn't mind the rappers. I think when, when the rappers are the ones who are profiled and that's like, it seems like that's all it is. And it's like, well, that's, you expect, and, and, and I love some of these rappers. Don't get me wrong. I'm very, yo, I have a, another great conversation coming up with Jeezy that I can't wait to tell y'all about. Um, but I think there, the perception can be that it, that it is just one-sided. We, uh, you know, we've had an amazing conversation and uh, super duper appreciative of all of this. But I cannot let you go. You have had, you've been in too many different rooms You've done too many different things. I cannot let you go without getting a really, really good story from you. Oh my goodness! All the and, good stories, go I can't tell them. I, and I got a request. I got a request. I'm gonna put you on the oh, spot. Oh, there's a request. Okay. I'm gonna put you on the spot. You have an opportunity right now. Your former boss, first, Which one? right, <laughs> first black vice president. Yes. First vice president female. First female vice president of the United States of America. Your former boss. She has, in many respects, um, in our community, her authenticity in terms of being a black woman is oftentimes brought into question. That's so crazy. Whether it's fair, that hold on, hold on. So let's be very crazy. clear because you know I, I, we got to pay bills. And so. I would defend any any any. I would defend any black woman in America that that was said about. As you, it wasn't true. as you should. I, I I don't. I'm not here commenting on whether it's fair. Okay. I'm just saying that it's it's a thing. I don't think it would it does any anyone justice to deny that it is a thing. But why do, is it a thing? Do you think? Oh my gosh, dude! How much time? I have? just I don't have a, I don't have much, but I just would like to know why I, do you I'll think give it's you, a thing? Okay, so I'll give you a, a couple because of, that's key to how the story you tell. Not the story I tell. I need but you to tell a story. I think it's key to how going, people fe what people end up doing I'm, come twenty twenty four. I need you to tell a story. She's that's on going, the ticket too. I'm gonna answer your question. I need you to tell a story that's going to counter that narrative if, if possible. If possible, right? Um, so if you want to- You want me to say the Vice President of the United States of America basically has a dashiki sewn into the inside of her jacket? Is that what you'd like me to say? Does she? Because- I, I, I don't, a proverbial dashiki, I would say, Proverbial, yes. no, that's not yes. good. That's not proverbial, good. I mean, who has an actual dashiki sewn into the jacket? Kwame Toure might have. Oh, Lord. But no, I mean, <laughs> give me a good, a, a good story about the I just, I, any story I would, you know, any story I would tell, I would I would not tell a story about anybody like and just like I wouldn't give the intimate details of like a conversation I've had with Senator Sanders or something that I have uh, spoken to the president about before I'm not gonna give but I will say this about the vice president I think that there there, there is an idea that um, she uh, went to Howard and discovered black people. And I, I say that because that is something that I have heard people say, and it is. That's why when you when you when you started this part of your question, I was like, that is absolutely terrible because it it could be the furthest thing from 
the truth. But I think this goes back to what I said about misinformation and disinformation. It's a very powerful thing. And I, I believe that when you go all the way back to, let me take you back to 20, what was it, 2019, when all these candidates were announcing that they were running for president, and if you go back to then uh, candidate Harris and Senator Harris. You spinning. Huge, you spinning this. I'm, I'm not, not a spin. This is just I'm a truth. She had a huge, 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 huge rally. Had this big rally, um, all these folks. And if you look at how she was introduced to the breadth of the American people in that campaign, again, if you didn't know, if you, if you probably had only heard of her before from the clips from these um, Supreme Court justice hearings. And in the clips, it's like, you on the, you, it's the prosecution. As a, as a prosecutor, yeah. as a former prosecutor, you know what that looked like. Um, you, there was no bio really introduced in in into the, when she came onto the national stage to run for president, and um, I think when you do not, you cannot. You have to be very intentional about telling people exactly who, who you, you are. are, and never cede the space in, especially in the media apparatus, to allow the do not see do not allow a void to be there because people will fill in the gaps for themselves and what. The, what voters have done as it relates to the vice president is they filled in the gaps for themselves very early on when they saw her on the, the, big, the big stage. And so in those months after, you heard, oh, she put a lot of black men in jail. She did this. She did that. And Not some untrue. of it was, well, I, uh, how many black men did you put in jail when you were a prosecutor? What's, what's the I was vice just asking, president? how many black what's men did you put in jail when you were a prosecutor? You the, probably don't know the numbers, but I'm sure you put some black men in jail. What's the vice were they criminals? Because if you committed a crime, I'm just saying, all I'm saying, see, what's that the vice is president, a spin. What's, a spin. what's the vice president's favorite So I say, I say all that to say, um, and to be clear, she worked on uh, child trafficking and sex trafficking when she was a... When she Does she have a favorite rapper? We need to know this. Yes. Yes, she does. Too short. Too Short is her favorite rapper. Oh my God, yes. Too Short is her favorite rapper. Too Short has been to the White House a number of times. I'm just wondering how y'all think Too Short got to the White House. It was the vice president. But she did a, a hip hop party for Hip Hop 50 this year. Uh, I was definitely on the lawn listening to um, uh, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne had a whole concert. and That's Trump boy. It, it, oh, well, that's unfortunate, <laughs> but I'm a Lil Wayne fan and I will just take it a personal aside to note, I definitely had a show that day and people were like, are you working? I said, yes, I am, but it's, I don't got to be there for another hour. I made it, Olivia. I made it. Don't worry. Too Short was at the was was at the hip hop rally thing. He performed, and there is there was a viral video from that of like the vice president dancing to a vibrant thing, and I think people were like, some of the people was like, okay, auntie, and some other people were like, this is performative, performative and manufactured. Yeah. Too Short, the girl from Oakland, the woman is from Oakland. So I just say that to say that it is when you are a a a, a woman especially, but a, but a woman of color, a black woman particularly, you cannot cede your narrative to anyone else. It, you, just because of all of the things that are in the makeup of America, you know, a little racism, a little sexism, a little all the things, you have to be very, and you want to be a candidate, especially if it's a candidate for one of the highest offices in the land, you have to be very specific about telling people who you are and know the definition and don't change it. And I think one of the reasons in which people have these warped ideas of the vice president is that initial campaign that she ran. But I will tell you, my experience um, with her is that, you know, she an auntie just like every other auntie I know. Uh, they, the campaign, though, is going to have to connect the dots. It is, 
Uh, Georgia, if you remember Georgia, the runoff election mm -hmm. between Warnock and Herschel Walker. Mm -hmm. Where has Herschel Walker been since then? I do not know. He was a Republican candidate for Senate in Georgia. And the night that Warnock won the runoff, uh, I was on MSNBC sitting with, uh, I believe, Joy Reid and a number of other folks. Michael Steele was there, my, my bestie. And I made the point that people, that representation matters. It's, and, and for black people and black voters, representation matters, but substantive representation matters. Right. And if black voters do not feel as though the representation that they, that, that they are being presented with is substantive representation, they are not going to move. And so the issue I think that the campaign has in 2024 is in general, there are large swaths of the Democratic Party electorate, the base voters. Now that's not all, the Biden sure. coalition has some other pieces, independents, moderate Republicans that are definitely key to his reelection win, but he can't get those folks and not get base voters that include young millennial voters, younger voters, and black voters especially, and vote, other voters of color. So, if they do not feel like they have substantive representation in a Joe Biden and a Kamala Harris, then it is not going to move those various yeah. voters to go to the polls. So much that we could talk about. But we will not because we're out of time. We, uh, and uh, You was running the clock. I know it is. It's, it's all right. But listen, um, this has been an amazing conversation with Dr. Simone D. Sanders Townsend. You can get more of her every weekend, Saturday and Sunday on MSNBC from 8 to 10, along with Michael Steele and my colleague, Alisa Menendez, on the weekend, which is the new anchor show for the weekend on MSNBC. We so love please to see you. Make sure you check her out. Thank you, this Charles Coleman. It's been an amazing conversation on the couch at the Charles Coleman Podcast. Make sure you are tuned in, liked, and subscribed. And until next week, we'll see you soon. That's Simone Sanders. I'm Charles Coleman. Peace.